listening to sermon audio from First Baptist Church of Van Holstein. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Let's take our Bibles and turn to John's Gospel this morning. John chapter 17. We're going to be in a couple of different places today. This series is a little bit different than the norm for us. We typically do uh, expository uh, type series where we're kind of marching through a book of the Bible. Uh, this series is a little different. Uh, I guess you would call this a topical series of text-driven messages. Uh, we always want to be biblical, faithful to the text. Uh, we're not uh, interested in just preaching uh, man's ideas or uh, opinions or anything like that. We want to to go to the scriptures together. We're going to do that today, and so we'll be also in Matthew's gospel and in the book of 2 Timothy. This is now week five in our sermon series called Our Imperfect Family, getting real about the health of your home. And we are opening God's Word together uh, to find wisdom and direction to establish and maintain spiritual health in our homes. And while all of our families are in different phases of life, different places, even in terms of our spiritual health, one thing is certain, uh, all of our families are imperfect because they're all made up of imperfect people. So we need clear instruction from God's Word to navigate the ongoing challenges of family life. We need God's wisdom to maintain uh, spiritually healthy relationships. Now so far, I bring you up to speed a little bit, we've looked at the words hope, uh, forgiveness, blessing, and honor. Uh, And we've kind of set those four words aside as the first part of this series. Those are four words of healing. Uh, And just in conversation with a number of you, uh, I've discovered that uh, those messages all landed maybe a little bit different uh, on each of us uh, in a unique sort of way. Uh, We've used the simple example of this brick representing some of the hurts and the things that we uh, maybe have experienced in in our lives. Uh, and the importance of releasing someone uh, from the debt that resulted in that hurt. And I also realized that uh, some of you are looking at this brick thinking, no, mine are more like cinder blocks, okay? Uh, and I'm, I'm still carrying around a few of those. And so I hope and pray that by the grace of God, you will come to understand and know the freedom that you can experience uh, when you extend forgiveness to someone. Uh, And so that was a a big part of the first part of this series because uh, many times we can't effectively pass on the blessing. Uh, We can't effectively honor our parents uh, unless we are willing to forgive many times. And that's what holds us up in some of these areas. So really kind of a key truth there. Um, And so I've learned that uh, some of the words that we've looked at, uh, they've obviously hit a little harder for some of us than for others. And I'm grateful for the feedback that you've uh, given me. I'm glad to have the opportunity to pray with you and to counsel you uh, in an extended way on some of these things. Uh, these, are, these are not things that I've got all figured out. Uh, I'm, one, of the, one of the biggest challenges of pastoral ministry is consistently living the messages that you preach. Uh, and so I've been in a kind of a season during this series uh, in the sovereignty of God uh, where I've had to face some of these issues as well. And so I will say I appreciate so much your prayers for my dad. He is home now after 17 days in the hospital or rehab, and so he's continuing to to improve, and we're just grateful for that, and I appreciate your care and concern uh, for him. Now, Lord willing, in the next three messages, as we wrap up the series, we're going to look at three 
building words. Three building words that are foundational in constructing and maintaining a spiritually healthy home. Now, several of our families uh, are, have either recently built a home or you are in the process of building a home. Uh, I, I've often said it this way, Christy and I have had the opportunity to build a couple of homes. Uh, one really kind of from the start um, all the way through uh, when we moved here, house was already started and so not, not as many decisions and um, our bank account didn't allow for as many decisions as well, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, but if your marriage can survive building a home, it can survive a lot of stuff, okay? Um, I, I know how that works. Uh, but if you're in that process or you've recently been through that process, then you certainly know the importance of having a, a solid set of plans and using a qualified builder and, and all of those things. And, and you know that the integrity of that house is largely dependent on the work that is done before the first nail is ever driven. Um, you, you must have a solid foundation. Right? So there's a lot of things that have to happen. Among other things, the soil has to be tested to make certain that, that you're building on solid ground. A great deal of preparation must be done before the first load of concrete ever arrives. And the same is true in our family life. We have to build on a solid foundation. If you are not building on a solid foundation, then we will find ourselves many times dealing with a wide variety of problems. Many of those problems requiring radical and super expensive repairs. If you've ever known of anybody, or maybe you've experienced yourself foundation problems in a home, that can be a costly repair. A lot of work, a lot of hours. Uh, and so uh, the importance of a foundation is so critical. Today we're looking at the foundational word, truth. Truth. And maybe that causes you to, like Pontius Pilate in uh, John chapter 18, uh, to cynically question, what is truth? It seems like we're asking that a lot these days, right? Especially in the cultural moment in which we are living, there's so many things that, that seem uncertain to us. What, what can be believed? And because of the nature of social media and just media in general, and, and all there's so many conflicting messages and so many things that you see, and you go, can that really be true? Is that true? I don't know what's true. And if you, about the time you think you've discovered what is true, then, then something comes along and maybe, maybe I'm not so sure. And so while all of the things that, that we're questioning these days as it relates to the pandemic and vaccinations and all of the different stuff that is certainly uh, that we're certainly seeing virtually every single day, how much more important is it that we come to understand what truly is eternal truth? The kind of truth upon which we would want to build our lives. And so in his high priestly prayer, the Lord Jesus is here in John chapter 17, he's praying for his disciples, and, and certainly that would by application include us. If we are fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, we are disciples, followers of Jesus, then uh, certainly this applies to us. And I want you to notice just uh, what, what he says here in the 17th verse of John chapter 17. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now, if, if I want to know what truth really is, I want to go to the one who personifies truth. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, what the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. 
So I think it's pretty important for us to give our full attention to what Jesus has to say on the subject of truth. And so here the word sanctify, it's a word that, that we sometimes use in church life. It, it simply means change. It means uh, transformation. Uh, we often say it this way. Salvation kind of has uh, different parts to it. Uh, we say at the moment you turn from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ, you are as saved as you will ever be. You are fully free, fully forgiven. Uh, all of those things justified. Okay, but that also begins a process whereby you are being sanctified. You are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And if you've been a follower of Jesus Christ for any time at all, hopefully you can say, by the grace of God, I'm not what I once was, but I'm not all that God wants me to be. It's transformation. It's also why it is a huge part of our DNA as a church. We have no desire to gather here every week and just leave and say, well, I feel better informed today. I mean, hopefully you can leave having learned something that you maybe didn't know before. But what's critically more important than that is that you leave here transformed by the power of the Word of God. And so that is the process of sanctification. And so he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. The fuel for life transformation. If we're going to be a transformational church, the fuel for sanctification is the truth. It's the truth. What gas is to a motor, what gunpowder is to a fireworks display, truth is to transformation. And so, again, a big part of our model, if we're going to say we're committed in terms of our, our purpose statement, our mission statement is to lead people on a life-transforming journey to become fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ, we do that by getting into the truth. And so we say we're biblically based, Christ-centered, and then gospel-driven. So Jesus here leaves no doubt where truth is found. Your word is truth. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God is absolute, authoritative, binding truth. Now you can watch news sources today and you can think that it's at least reasonably reliable. And I know some of you favor one news source over another and, and all of those sorts of things. But, but ultimately, you can't know with 100% certainty that what you're seeing, what you're consuming there is absolute truth. Because Jesus is the Word made flesh. We're told that in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word became flesh. Because Jesus is the Word made flesh, He is truth personified. Jesus didn't just teach truth. And so we, that's why we know He is more than just a, a, a religious leader. He is more than just a, a revolutionary now, Jesus is God in the flesh, the truth personified. So unlike a lot of things that have been described throughout history as truth, God's truth is, in fact, eternal truth. Jesus himself said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away in Luke chapter 21. So instead of today's shifting, sorted, pseudo-truth, my goal, my responsibility, is to stand before you each week and proclaim to you the living, abiding Word of God. Always true, always reliable. God's Word. Someone said it this way, God's Word has never been tried and found lacking. Never. Now, it has been found difficult, and as a result, never tried by some, but it has never been tried and found lacking. 
And so I hope and pray this morning that you, that, that, that you value and understand the Word of God. God's revealed truth to us. I hope it is more than a dusty old book that sits on a shelf in your house or lays in the back seat of your car between Sundays. I hope and pray that, that you are in God's Word every single day. It's, it's, it's the truth. It's the truth revealed to us in Scripture. And so let's talk first about the importance of a solid foundation. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go back to Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, Jesus tells a story, which he often did, to clarify the importance of building on a solid foundation. And as we look at these few verses that you are likely familiar with, especially if you spent any time in kids' church or children's church, uh, might even remember the song, The Wise Man Built His House Upon the Rock. The Wise Man Built, remember that one? The foolish man built his house upon the sand. And then I, the, I, I loved when I was a kid singing it, and the house went splat, right? Is that how you sang it at your church? Uh, it comes from this text, of course. Now, I want you to notice that there are two different individuals, or for the sake of our series this morning, two different families building on two different foundations. There is one common experience, but two different outcomes. And those outcomes are dependent upon the type of foundation that's being used. So let's look at it together. I'm sure you're familiar with the text, but it, it says in verse number 24, Matthew chapter 7, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Again, he's talking about the importance of foundation. And he goes on to say in verse 26, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. This is not a solid foundation. It's not appropriate for building. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So again, two different foundations. There are those who are building on the rock. And actually, when we think of the rock, we think of the rock of ages. We think of the Lord Jesus Christ. And certainly that is true. Again, he is truth personified. So we can also say this is the truth. Jesus said here in the telling of this story, those who hear these words and what? Think that they're pretty nice things to hear? No, he says, those who hear these words and do them, and do them. So you actually have to live out the truth. It's not enough to just know the truth. You have to live it out. It has to impact and transform your life. Again, we don't want to just be better informed. We want to be transformed. So there are those who are building on the rock, the eternal truth of the Word of God and the Word made flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then there are those who are building on, he uses the word sand here, not eternal truth. Building on the rock, solid truth of God's Word, it requires intentionality, it requires focus, and it can even seem at times like a big hassle, requiring lots of time and effort to drill deep and to build carefully upon the truth. And worst of all, until a storm hits, it can look to some like the house built on truth was a lot of wasted effort. 
And so we have these two distinctly different foundations. Upon what is your life built? One of the things that was transformational for me is when it was explained this way, I'm a fairly simple-minded guy, but one of the reasons that Scripture is very clear about guarding our hearts, guarding the things that we grow passionate about, that we love the most, is because what we love the most, our passions, determine our priorities. And our priorities then determine our path. So our passions determine and drive our priorities. Our priorities determine our path. I've often said it this way. Even after hearing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of excuses why people can't do certain things as it relates to church life and living the Christian life and all those things, fundamentally what I've come to understand is people will generally do what they really want to do. That's just the truth of it. Now, sometimes we're limited by resources and certain things. I, I understand that. But practically speaking, we will do what we really want to do. So the things that we love the most, Scripture says it this way, where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Okay, so what we love the most will determine our priorities. What we love the most will determine how we're going to spend our resources, how we're going to spend our time. Your priorities, and so if your passion is materialism, making more money, banking, all those sorts of things, then that will drive your priorities. You, you won't find it difficult to stay at work far too long and be a workaholic. You won't find it difficult because those passions drive those priorities. And those priorities ultimately determine your path. And so as we look at, at, at this whole concept of a foundation, fundamentally what that comes down to is, what do you love the most? What do you love the most? What is it that causes you to rearrange your priorities? And one of the things that we're seeing, particularly in kind of this post-COVID moment, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that, uh, not, that's not my commentary on the pandemic, okay, but we're kind of in this this weird phase right now, sort of post-COVID as it relates to the church, and what does that look like? And I talk to a lot of pastors, and I'm meeting with pastors almost weekly, and, and, and we're, we're discussing these things, and, and a lot of us are finding uh, common realities right now. Okay, there are some who've used this cultural moment uh, to just kind of conveniently drift away from the church. Most of those cases, they were not ever really plugged in. Uh, just kind of drift away. Okay, we have some who are still, for whatever reason, using the pandemic as, as, a, as a matter of convenience. Okay, and I'll just be honest with you, it's pretty frustrating when you're in church leadership. Okay, because the, the truth is, I, I can see some of those same people at, at large events, people gather together, and it's fine to be there, but church is a different story for some reason. I, it's, it's just the reality of it. And so we're, we're trying to navigate these weird, these weird waters right now with where we're at in terms of church life and everything. And so a lot of churches are seeing there's this, this group of people who are fully committed to uh, the life of the church and, and serving and all of those things. And there are others maybe who are still, and there's another group who's, it's just, it's just a weird time. And so what a lot of people are doing is they're trying to determine on, on what foundation are we building? What is it that is really going to drive us as a family? What is it that's going to drive me as a father, as a husband, and, and all of those things? 
So two types of foundations, but I want you to notice there's really one kind of experience here. In fact, if you look at verses 25 and 27 of the text here, you'll notice that they're almost identical. Almost identical in wording. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat on that house, or beat against that house. Here's the difference. The first one, because it was built on the rock, it says it did not fall, because it was founded on the rock. The second house, because it was built on shifting sand, it fell, and great was the fall of it. But one experience. Now, what family has not encountered some storms? I haven't met anybody yet. I know I've experienced some storms in my life. Our family's experienced some storms. We've kind of been in one of those seasons recently with my dad's illness and his his recovery and, and all of those things. And so in the same way that our families are all imperfect, it is also true that all of our families will be tested by the storms of life. And certainly, I, I think that's a faithful application here. It, it may be a health crisis. It may be the tragic loss of someone very close to you. It may be a major financial setback. It may be unfaithfulness in your marriage. It may be uh, the rebellion of a son or a daughter that breaks your heart. And it, it could be any number of things. And only when the storms rage does it become apparent which families are built on the rock of truth and which ones are built on the shifting sand of worldly values and priorities. But I really don't think that's the main point that Jesus is making here. Well, that's certainly a valid application. I think what Jesus is really referencing here is final judgment. When your foundation is truly tested in final judgment, how will your house stand up? What's that going to look like? And so if you're building on this faulty foundation of self-righteousness and morality and trying to be good enough to somehow earn God's favor, what you will find is in the final analysis, when that foundation is finally tested, everything will crumble. Because even on your best day, even on my best day, I can't be good enough. That's a terrible foundation. So unless your home, your life, your family is built on the foundation of Christ's righteousness and eternal truth, then you've got a bad foundation. You can say, but, but we're really nice people and we do good things. That's all wonderful. And I hope that that is a, a kind of a... a, a the, the, the result of your relationship with Jesus Christ. But ultimately, your foundation must be Jesus Christ, truth personified. So two types of foundations, one kind of experience, two kinds of outcomes. It says here, the house built on the sand had a great collapse. It was devastating. While the house built on the rock of eternal truth Stood. Strong families are built on the truth. And if that seems like a small thing to you, I can assure you it is not. If you have never witnessed the collapse of a family, I can assure you that there is nothing so painful. One of the first things we said in the first message in this series is what? There's no pain like family pain. No pain like family pain. How can we avoid... That kind of collapse. How can we avoid devastating pain and damage? 
The next thing I want us to see today is this. Building on truth, on a solid foundation of truth, requires diligence. For that, I want us to turn our attention to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. You get to move around in your Bibles a little bit today. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul is writing to a young pastor named Timothy, kind of his protege in the faith. And he's writing to him about building his ministry. And the truths that he presents to Timothy are timeless, certainly apply to, to us as well, apply to families as well. And in verses 14 and 15, he writes this, Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of what? Of truth. The word of truth. And so what is Paul telling Timothy here? First of all, he's saying, if you're going to build on truth, if you're going to have a solid foundation, it's going to require diligence. And that diligence looks like this. It's diligence in avoiding foolish things. Things that are not eternal. And it may be things that in and of themselves are not bad or sinful. I mean, God doesn't intend for us to, uh, to, to not have uh, things that uh, hobbies or things that are of interest to us and those sorts of things. I really don't think that's what he's getting at here. Um, I, I think what he's saying here is hey, you got to make certain that you are not committing yourselves to foolish things that have no eternal significance. And it goes back to the heart of the matter. What is it that you love the most? What is it that you love the most? To the point that you will prioritize your time, your resources, all of those things around whatever that is. What is it that you prioritize? Ultimately, is it, is it things that have no eternal significance? No eternal value? It, 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 it does no good and leads to what it says here is the ruin of the hearers. Now, apparently in, in that day, there was, much like in our day, people just squabbling over stuff. Like things that really, ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, didn't matter. We can do that today. It was, it was like that when I was in seminary. I can remember, you know, two guys, you know, get a little bit of theological education under their belt, and suddenly they think they've got God all figured out, right? And so you can sit around for hours and debate all of these secondary, third-tier issues, you know, how many angels can dance on the head of a pen, and, you know, can God make a boulder so big he can't move it, and all of that. That statement right there just kind of blew some of y'all's mind, didn't it, Okay. Trust me, I, I wasted way too much conversation time trying to get that thing figured out, okay? <laughs> I, I mean, we, we can just, all kinds of stuff. And it's interesting here that, that, that the word ruin that's used in the ESV here comes from the Greek word katastrophe. It's the word from which we get our word catastrophe. And so like the house built on the sand, the result is catastrophic, when you're full on, fully committed to things that have no eternal significance, the result will be catastrophic. If you want to clean up a family mess of catastrophic proportions, commit yourself to foolish things. Quibble and argue about silly things. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying also, this diligence is prioritizing then the truth. 
making certain that it is what you value and love the most. And so verse 15, it's the verse that you're probably most familiar with in this second chapter of 2 Timothy. It says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. If you memorize that verse in the, in the old King James, uh, you know that it says they're rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth. And so the, the idea here is that you teach, disciple your family in such a way that they can cut it straight. That they can cut it straight. In fact, the Greek word there, it's actually the, 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 the same root word from which we get words like orthodontics. Okay, the word is orthodomeo. Orthodontics, the idea is, of course, that you are getting your teeth straightened, right? When you wear braces, that's the idea. Or uh, orthopedics, if you've had to go to an orthopedic, it's to make straight a bone or, or, or whatever's been damaged there. That's the idea here. And so, so Paul is challenging younger Timothy. He's saying, hey, you, you be diligent, not only in avoiding foolish things that can consume your time and energy and resources and all those things, hey, but instead be diligent in prioritizing the truth. That's what's most important. And so what does that look like as we flesh it out every day? There are things that can grab our attention that will concern us. I mean, those things are, you don't have to look very far to see that kind of stuff today, right? I mean, we've got issues in Afghanistan and medical issues and vaccination issues and all of those things. And, and while it's not wrong to give serious consideration and thought to those things, we live in this world after all. But the bottom line is, what is the lens through which you are looking at those things? If you are strictly looking at those things through a political lens, you better be careful. Because politics will ultimately fail you when it's all said and done. If you're looking at all those things through purely a materialistic lens, then trust me, you can have a lot of stuff today and it can be gone tomorrow. That's, that's not a good foundation. And so really fundamentally, Paul is telling Timothy, make sure that you prioritize the truth in such a way that when certain things come at you, you are looking at those things through the lens of Scripture. What does God's Word have to say on the subject? And so building on truth requires diligence. Here's the second thing. Building on truth requires correction. Correction. Let's look down at the latter part of chapter 2 here, verses 24 and 25. Notice what Paul writes to Timothy. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Quarrelsome. Let that word sink in for just a moment. If you want to see quarrelsome today... Leave the service and go spend about 20 minutes on social media. And you'll get a heavy dose of quarrelsome. Especially if you post some bold truth claim. You'll find out about quarrelsome, all right? Quarrelsome, he says, must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. There's a novel concept, kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Notice this, verse 25. What do you do with those with whom you disagree? I disagree with you. Correcting his opponents with gentleness, as opposed to quarrelsome gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. 
I could preach an entire sermon series on some of these things. Because we're living in a day where, where people can't even have civil discourse. Like, and so that's why we're hearing concepts and terms like cancel culture and all of that sort of stuff. Because we can't even come to the table in, in disagreement and have a civil conversation about things that we don't agree upon. And the sad truth is, a lot of that stuff has found its way into the church. And while I would hope and pray that, that we can take the things that, that bind us together, and while we're different, we're not looking for uniformity in, in thinking and all those sorts of things, that we can ultimately find unity in spite of some of those differences. But it's how do we do that? I'm not telling you don't stand. Don't take a stand. In fact, I would say quite the opposite. Take a stand for those things that you believe to be true. But how are you doing that? Are you doing it in an abrasive way? I mean, somebody said it this way. One of the best ways to proclaim the gospel is to live your faith and not be a jerk. That'd be a great starting point for a lot of people who proclaim to, to be Christ followers. Just quit being a jerk. You talk about a major turnoff. And so I think that's really kind of what Paul is expressing here. It sometimes will take correction, even within your home. Even within your home. We've said this, and we're going to discuss this a little more over the next couple of weeks. But the primary place where our families are to be discipled is the home. And some of you will remember the series that we did just prior to COVID hitting where I had all those colorful pipe cleaners and those pipe cleaners all represented the number of hours that we have with our children and everything in comparison to the number of hours that the church has. If you are primarily depending upon the church to disciple your kids, you're missing it. You're missing it. Because we really have very few hours. Now, we want to partner with you in that. And we want to resource you in that. We want to help you in that. But we should not be the primary means for discipling your family. And so here, as we, as we look at this whole idea of correction, what happens when, when the kids come home and, and maybe they've been presented something, a concept or, or, or an idea, and you would go, oh, wait a minute. That, that, that needs correcting. That, that's not biblical truth. That's not biblical wisdom. How do you go about correcting that? Well, Paul's making it clear. You do it with gentleness, even amidst opposition. Even in the midst of opposition. You see, a determination to pursue truth in your family will bring opposition. It'll bring opposition. And it may come within your, even your extended family. There may be times when they think that the, the things that you've prioritized and the values that you've adopted and the foundation upon which you're building is weird. It's weird. I think back to when I surrendered to, to ministry. Had family members. They'd be like, now, nah, you know, have you thought about, you know, maybe also getting a business degree so you have something to fall back on? Because I hear those ministers, they don't make much money. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd been told that. <laughs> okay, and I'd given that some serious thought. If you would have asked me prior to my surrendering to, the, to God's call to ministry, my plan was to go get a business degree and someday make a lot of money. That, that was like, I mean, that, that was my version of what my future was going to look like. Okay? And so I had some family members who were like, this is kind of weird. I mean, you having some really misunderstood. Like, so are you going to like have to be like a monk or something? Like, you know, all kinds of stuff. Like, no concept, no clue. What does that mean? 
What do you do when you face some opposition? It means standing even where it's the hardest. And you may have to have some kind of awkward conversations. But hopefully you can do it with gentleness and not be quarrelsome and not be off-putting and all of those things. So building on truth requires correction. And that's where it goes back to this fundamental truth of if you are not discipling your kids, someone is. Someone else is. Trust me. Okay? <laughs> so, so just know that, that, that if you relinquish that responsibility, okay, somebody is. They're going to pick up those values. They're going to pick up those things from somewhere. And so it takes diligence. Finally, I want you to see this. Building on truth requires relationship. Relationship. And for that, I want us to look down into chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. And I want us to look at verses 14 and 15 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul is still writing here to Timothy, and notice what he says. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And then he he, he kind of rewinds into his childhood a little bit in verse 15. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. I love the way that the Apostle Paul here makes this clear connection between the truth and building on that foundation and family relationships. And family relationships. So he makes it clear there must be a relationship with the learner. Must be a relationship with the learner. So it's not this idea of, hey kid, it's a pretty good book. You should probably read it someday. Here. Okay, no, in relationship, and that's why the Shema of Deuteronomy chapter 6 becomes so important because it makes it clear that this whole concept of passing on the truth, building on the truth, is not just an event. It's not just an event. It's not even just a weekly event where you are in church, which is a great thing. I love it. I love that our families are here, and I, lo- I love that. That's a part of it. No, it is a way of life. It is as you are doing life, you are building. You are building. You're establishing that foundation. And so there must be a relationship with the learner. Now, when you look at these couple of verses, notice this. Paul doesn't stress what Timothy has learned, as important as that is. He doesn't even stress how Timothy learned it. Remember all those difficult things you went through and how going through those difficult patches and those storms and all that, that, that he doesn't stress that. He doesn't even stress why Timothy needed to learn it. All those things are important, but what he does stress here is from whom he has learned. He's saying, you know what's really important in this whole concept? Relationship. Relationship. And in the beginning of the next verse, Paul references Timothy's childhood. So what is he saying? Who teaches your family truth is a very important matter. And when you check out on that responsibility, you're being incredibly reckless. Incredibly reckless. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, if you go back and and look at that that, uh, text in verse number 5 there, Paul references, and this, this this is important for you grandparents, 
Paul references the spiritual influence of his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. Familiar relationship in establishing that foundation and passing on the truth. The truth. It's very likely that uh, uh, Timothy's father was a Greek, would not have been a, a follower of Christ, would not have been a believer. So it became super important that grandmother Lois and mother Eunice uh, were, were spiritually impacting him. The final thing that I want us to see today is this. There must be a relationship with the author. There must be a relationship with the author. If we've established the fact that his word is truth, that Christ is himself the truth personified, truth in the flesh, the word made flesh, there must be a relationship with the author, the very giver of life. At the end of the day, it is all about Jesus Christ. Okay, so we're not talking about building on a foundation of good moral principles. That's there, but it's found ultimately in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So what does he say in verse number 15 of that text? How from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, that's the scriptures, which are what? Able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. You ever been in one of those awkward social moments uh, where maybe you see a friend and they're with uh, a, a friend uh, or, or someone, that uh, maybe a family member that you don't know. Okay, and that, that friend or that family member doesn't know you. Okay, and, and like, I don't know about you, but I sometimes find it awkward right there. Like, what, what do I do? Do I go up and just introduce myself to the friend? Do I allow the person that I know to introduce me to that, that person? Do, and, then, and then when they don't, what, what do you do with that? Like sometimes I go, are they ashamed of their pastor? They wouldn't even introduce me to their, you know, I, you know, you have all these weird things, right? So I think how awkward would it be for, for us to, to talk about doing the right things and not doing the wrong things and, and all of those sorts of things in family life, which is super important. Having all those conversations, but never really introducing your family to the author. To Jesus Christ. That ultimately is the foundation upon which we are building. Now, you, you can't trust Christ for them. You can't do it by proxy as much as we would want to. Any of us parents would go, boy, if I could do that for my kid, if I could do that for my family, I would do it. Can't do that. You can certainly introduce them to the author of life. The one who personifies truth for us. So if we could for just a moment bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. I'm so grateful today that in a crazy, changing, shifting world, we can have a firm foundation. That firm foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ very rock of ages. The truth. There may be some here today who would say, Pastor, I, if I'm just completely honest, the truth, God's word, 
Our spiritual health has not been a priority in our home. We've really prioritized other things. While those other things may not be bad or sinful in themselves, they are not what's most important. So my hope and prayer is that today you will leave here with a renewed determination, a firm understanding of how important it is that you build on the truth. It won't happen by accident. It takes intentionality. It takes focus. It means standing when it's hard. Graciously correcting when necessary. But building on the firm foundation of the truth. Maybe you're here today and you would say, Pastor, I- I'm not even certain of my relationship with God. I... I'm searching, I'm seeking, I'm trying to be a better person. Those are all great things. But ultimately what you need to understand is you can't be a good enough person in and of yourself. You will never be good enough. The only way that you will be acceptable to God is through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. As you are clothed in His righteousness, So it may be time for you to take a step of faith and say once and for all, I can't save myself. I turn from my sin to faith in Jesus Christ. I would love to take you aside at the close of today's service and share with you from the Word of God how you can know that your sins are forgiven. You can experience the freedom that comes only through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe it's time for some of you as parents to It's time for us to rearrange some priorities. To do a heart check and see what it is that we really love the most. What we prioritize the most. Father, we thank you for your word today. Lord, I thank you that you give us clear instruction for building on eternal truth. pray that you would help us to prioritize it, to pursue it passionately. That our priorities would reflect it every day in our homes and our families. God, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.